Talk Radio. Between 1959 and 1961, under Mao Zedong, China starved an estimated 30 million Chinese people. Mao's official goal was to quickly evolve China from a rural economy into a modern industrial society. 63 years later, after decades of industrialization aided by burgeoning world government, think tanks, and Kissinger acolytes, Mao's second coming, China's Xi Jinping, is taking a giant leap into sovereign nations across the globe. The United States must make sure that we do not have a peer competitor for our security. Think about what this means. This is a brutalist philosophy. If they actually appear to be succeeding, regardless of their beliefs, we must stop them, even if it means pushing them back toward poverty. Robert, Have I, I misunderstood I, Robert, the proposition? I don't, I, don't, I don't mean those questions cynically or sarcastically, but what's wrong with that? We wondered how all of these migrants knew about this particular entryway into California. The answer was in their hands. Oh, you learned on TikTok. Yeah. Meanwhile, the borders are flooded with an occasional Chinese female, the uniquely rare Chinese child, and horde upon horde of Chinese military-aged males. Are they simply Chinese special recon teams? China. China. San Vicente, first of all, it's not a town. This is a camp that is built as a transit camp. And... It is almost entirely Chinese. They are the opposite of forthcoming. And I've been to dangerous places before. I've been to places where people fear their government and can't talk to you because they feel it's not safe. This didn't feel like that at all. This felt like people who did not want to share information because it would be a mistake to do so. I spoke with the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, Mark Green, and he told me, yes, he believes Xi Jinping is directing these people to come to America and perhaps act as saboteurs when Beijing uh, directs them to do so. In the fiscal year, uh, 2023, you've got 24,000 Chinese nationals having been apprehended. That compares to just 2,000 people in 2022 and just 342 in 2021. So clearly Beijing sees the weakness in the White House as an opportunity to storm America, send these folks in here, and we don't know what their motivations are. According to CCP textbooks, there is a tactic known as the armed work team behind enemy lines, a team that, under the leadership of CCP, goes deep into enemy-occupied areas to carry out armed, military, economic, and organizational construction behind enemy lines. Additionally, the FBI and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, meekly published joint guidance on how to live off the land. To live off the land is a term regarding the sabotage of network routers utilizing botnet attacks designed to give Chinese attackers persistent access to the critical infrastructure. Before the first shot is fired in a war on Asia, they're just going to turn off the lights, turn off the water, shut off the gas. Nothing in the U.S. will work. Just after he was elected, but before he took office, they had that famous lecture by a guy named D. Dongchong, yep. a famous academic. He yep. said, we own the White House. When Biden gets back into the Oval Office, 
this, we're going to determine American policy yeah. at the highest level. If you took every single one of the FBI's cyber agents and intelligence analysts and focused them exclusively on the China threat, China's hackers would still outnumber FBI cyber personnel by at least 50 to 1. We found out that the Chinese spy balloon was using an American internet provider to send burst transmissions encrypted back to China of what they were finding around our nuclear facilities. As the Biden administration crumbles, national security must be addressed post haste by any remaining patriotic elements within America's military brass. Time and investigations will tell if Biden did the unthinkable, allowing Chinese bio-warfare to eliminate U.S. citizens, followed by aiding enemy recon by Chinese spy balloons that revealed vulnerable military targets. The president ordered the Air Force to shoot it down as soon as it reached the Atlantic Ocean. What were the orders? To shoot down a balloon six miles off the coast. And allowing the CCP to position their soldiers within key choke points. It's Friday, February 16th, in the year of 2024. And you're listening to The American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome to The American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. Back in the saddle again. What a crazy day we had yesterday. We were doing spaces and all the shows. Had that awesome round table with Harrison, Owen, and myself. Alex popped in. I think that was actually the first time for me that I was in the same room with all three of them at the same time. Everybody's always running around. Like I said yesterday, it's like sort of the battle of Hoth here at InfoWars. I don't know if I've ever told this story on air. I was in a X space last night and there were obviously a lot of InfoWars fans that joined the space and we were just chatting about different things like AI, national security. One of my buddies is in cyber intelligence and it's got a background in defense contracting for naval defense specifically. And so we were talking about Russia and China and Chinese naval capabilities versus U.S. naval capabilities and the global reserve currency that is the U.S. dollar. And one of the uh, speakers in the space pops in and nice guy. But he's like, hey, I emailed you guys so many times eight years ago telling you that you needed to figure out a way to decentralize some of your content so you could be a 24-7 live news broadcast like the other major networks it's like i don't know why nobody got back to me and i'm sure that many of you listeners have reached out to infowars before either via email or direct message but i told him i was like it's not that anybody was ignoring you or thought your idea was bad it's like the battle of hoth here at infowars the empire is right outside the door han solo and princess leia are arguing with each other the rebels are running around frantically trying to solve problems and make things happen and the ceilings are collapsing and there's snow ever it's 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 not like a typical sort of corporate company culture the ceilings are literally collapsing at infowars so yeah and the ceilings are literally collapsing that's right last week in my office several ceiling tiles did collapse because the ac unit leaked on them so they got waterlogged and then they the weight of the water made them collapse, and then the ceiling tiles just basically exploded all over the office. It was a nightmare to clean up. But 
that's what it's like here. It's like the Battle of Hoth. And I told Alex when we were doing an X space on Monday, I think it was Monday, that the Infowar is something that's never won entirely or lost entirely. You're either winning it or you're losing it, but it doesn't end. It is sort of an endless war. And so the objective is to always be winning, be winning as much as possible. And I just bring that up because I want to remind everybody how important it is to support this network. Now, I understand that about a half a percent or so of the people who listen to InfoWars actually purchase our products at InfoWarsStore.com. And we know that the products are amazing. I actually use the products. I wasn't somebody who consumed any supplements at all before working here. And I was just, you know, they're laying around everywhere here. So we shoot ads with the bottles and things like that. So I just started trying some of them. And it had a substantial impact on my life with just sort of cognitive ability, energy, comfort, whatever. There are some that are that are just right up my alley, others that are less sort of relevant to me or less of interest to me. But here's the deal. If you don't want to buy any of the products at InfoWarsStore.com, if you don't want to make a donation at InfoWarsStore.com, I understand. I know what it's like to go to a grocery store and come out with less than is on the grocery list because – of inflation. I know what it's like to worry at night how I'm going to make ends meet, worry about my mortgage, worry about my bills, worry about paying off debt. And I understand if you as members of the audience are reluctant or hesitant to go to InfoWarsStore.com and spend money there when you're worried about all the other expenses, taking care of your family, putting food on the table, paying the bills, saving up for retirement. But that isn't the only way Money is not the only way that you can support this network, this platform, Alex specifically, and all the work that we're doing to try to save this country just simply by raising awareness. If you want to help but just simply can't afford it or feel like you can't afford it, then share all the broadcasts. Go to band.video, download the full shows, cut your favorite moments using apps on your smartphone that basically do it for you because if you can share the message if you can share what we're trying to do here on this network with even just a couple of people manually via text that is enough over an extended period of time to have an exponential impact and not only will some of the people who see the content that you share eventually become customers that's great but it's more about the enlightenment than anything else. So this InfoWar is not just the 50 or so employees that work here at InfoWars. This is, it's not just me. It's not just Harrison, Owen, and Alex and the crew working to fight this war. The, the InfoWar is a war that everyone in this country and frankly everyone in the world is in regardless of whether they even know it or not. Right? We famously say there's a war on for your mind. And a lot of people don't realize that they've been brainwashed or that they're being brainwashed or manipulated or just totally coerced in this info war that is being waged right before our eyes, right under our noses, 
every single day with headline after headline, with talking head after talking head, with political lie after political lie, with war after war. This is a major info war, and you are a soldier in this info war. There are no civilians in this info war. You're either a good soldier or you're a bad soldier, and you're either on the right side or you're on the wrong side in this info war. And it's basically a war between the globalists and everyone else. Those are the two sides. Those are the two armies, so to speak. There are those who advocate for the conglomeration of world power and the subjugation of all individual sovereignty, all national sovereignty, all individual rights. And there are those who advocate for truth to shine so brightly that there just simply isn't anywhere for the lie to hide. And once you realize that the info war is real, and then you go the next step and realize that you are a soldier in it, similar to the rebels in the Battle of Hoth and Empire Strikes Back, then you can get activated. It's not just about spending money or buying the products, though I think you should. And I'll tell you why time and time again as I'm on air, but... It's about actually winning the info war and sharing the information, sharing the broadcasts, sharing the clips. And it's not about sort of Alex Jones cult worship and, you know, he's always right and we're so perfect. And it's, it's not about that. It's not an ego thing. It's not even a business thing for us. It is simply about bringing people out of the matrix. And it's funny because I think the first matrix movie is one of the most profound science fiction movies that was ever made. I think it's brilliant. The first one, it should have, they should have just stopped there, in my opinion. But like many science fiction classics, the themes of that film, that movie, are so true and so resonating with the human condition and everything that we're experiencing now with the advent of artificial intelligence that it's sort of imperative, in my opinion, to study that that movie, namely for one reason. There's a small sort of subtle aspect of, of the plot, the storyline, the world that they're in, where those who are outside of the matrix, those who are in the real world, understand that you can't simply force someone out of the matrix. You can't just yank someone out of this artificial simulation and expect them to adapt or adjust or accept true reality. Only those who are ready to be awakened, ready to be enlightened, those who seek truth have the sort of psychological well-being to accept the truth, right? And I've had this experience before. I was at a family event in California and we had some family friends that were there. My wife's, it was my wife's family primarily. Extended family friends, conservatives, traditionally conservatives, people that, you know, for years I would sit with and talk politics and agree with, you know, 90% of what they said. And I'm getting all these weird vibes, right? I'm like, what is going on? And one of the ladies just started giving me a bunch of crap for working for Alex Jones. I don't know where, and this is not something that just happened to me. I know that this has happened to members of the crew. I know that I'm not the only person that's lost friends. I know that Harrison has experienced stuff like this when going to family events. And 
basically this this lady implied that Alex was full of crap. You know, oh, he's he's he, he's right sometimes, but he gets a lot of stuff wrong. He's just kind of like naggy neocon ignorant stuff, right? And I had recently been going through a lot of the broadcasts from 20 years ago to try to find examples of things that he predicted that maybe got lost or fell through the cracks uh, using some tools that I created. And I just started naming dates and predictions because I'd like recently been editing these videos. Like March 6, 2001, Alex Jones said they were going to fly planes into the World Trade Center. You know, July 25th, 2001, Alex Jones said they were going to blame it on Osama bin Laden. And I just go through and I list them just like boom, boom, boom. I was so, I was so mad. My face must have been red. And I just boom, 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 boom. And the woman I was speaking to was not ready to leave the matrix. And so even though she sort of threw this baseless criticism at me and at Alex Jones and at InfoWars with, with no backing. It was just sort of like an intuitive, emotional, it's just an opinion that she held that she didn't know why she held it. You know, we, we've all had those opinions before, even though she had no. And our job in this info war is not to pat ourselves on the back. It's not to brag about how right we were about how we knew this was going to happen 20 years ago. We're all like a family, the audience, the hosts, the crew, we understand each other. We're, we're the same people. We're the same type of people. We're, we're sort of a tribe. The purpose of the info war is to win the war. I know I said at the beginning of the segment that it's unwinnable, but that doesn't mean that it's not what we strive for. Perfection may be impossible, but we always strive for perfection. So if the purpose is to win the war, that means that we need as many boots on the ground, so to speak, as possible. And so if you're not in a position to fund the war, if you're not in a position to go to InfoWarsStore.com and purchase any of our great products, which I genuinely and sincerely recommend, I would avoid saying that at all costs if I didn't truly believe it because it would make me uncomfortable to just lie about it. If you're not in a position to do that, and I understand it's tough out there, there is still a way for you to win this war. And I know that in 2016 and in 2020, there's all sorts of memes and criticisms from the leftists about keyboard warriors. And the right does the same thing, right? They, they, they complain about, uh, about keyboard warriors. But it's actually a very noble thing to be a keyboard warrior, in my opinion. Maybe it wasn't 10 years ago, but now it is because we are transitioning into a more and more digital reality and a less and less physical reality in terms of where we spend our time, where we spend our thought, where we create, where we produce, where we work, all of it's sort of wired in. And so now is the time to enlist in the info war as a keyboard warrior. Sign up and join the effort to win this information war. Make sure that we're getting this content out to those who we know personally who are feeling the pain of this corruption and ready to see and understand and accept the light in a way that they might not previously have been willing to do. And post your content on all of your social media platforms as much as possible. And I'm, I'm working on some programs myself for, for InfoWars that I'm going to present. Some, some training programs and how to do things like cut viral Instagram reels, cut TikTok reels, how, sh how long should captions be, how to use artificial intelligence to make content. So I'm going to provide those resources to the audience if you're interested, those of you who are interested, so that we can as effectively as possible 
wage this war and bring us to some sort of victory on November 5th of 2024. Remember the 5th of November because it is perhaps the most consequential and important day in the history of the United States since July 4th, 1776. I, I genuinely believe that. I know it sounds hyperbolic and I know this is just such a politically charged time and there are people on both sides of the political spectrum who are absolutely foolish. And so when you hear hyperbolic things like that, it's easy to project the fools that you've seen and encountered on, onto the statement, but it's really true. And I don't think that the world is going to end in the next four, four years, depending on who is elected in November. But I do believe that whoever is elected in November will determine determine whether or not the United States survives over the next hundred years. It's going to send us on a trajectory either way that cannot be reversed. And so we have to determine, we have to do everything in our power. This is the last lap of the race for America, so to speak. We have to do everything in our power, every waking moment this year so that in the tragic event that Trump doesn't win for some reason in the fall. I think he will. But in the tragic event that he doesn't win, I certainly don't want it on my conscience that I could have done more, you know? And frankly, that's something I think about just generally in my life. It's one of my primary motivating sort of thoughts or philosophies. My goal is that when I'm on my deathbed, I don't look back on my life and feel like I just totally failed and didn't do enough and didn't have the character or the courage to do the right thing. I want to look back on my life and say, you know what? I made mistakes, but man, did I try my hardest. And that's what's happening right now in the United States of America, in the global landscape. We are on this last lap. We are on this deathbed and it's to be determined whether or not this nation is going to recover from its terminal illness or not. And it's all going to be decided on November 5th. And we as info warriors need to fight like hell. We need to fight like hell. Folks, we we can see the whites of their eyes, right? And I'm using that metaphorically. I'm not talking about violence. I'm literally talking about being a keyboard warrior. So best thing you can do is go to infowarsstore.com and purchase any of our amazing products. It's not an expense. It's an investment in yourself. I genuinely believe that. So it's something that you should seriously consider if you've been on the fence. I highly recommend TurboForce because it gives me the energy and alertness to be as effective as possible in this info war. I love all the, all the other supplements as well, but specifically TurboForce and BrainForce because – these are the supplements that you can feel within 20 minutes. I mean, your state of mind and the way your body feels literally shifts by at least one or two standard deviations in the right direction after you consume these products. And I know that on the ads, like, oh, it's so strong. I just take half a scoop. And that's true. Most of the guys around here do just take half a scoop. But I do the full scoop because this is the info war. This is the last lap for America. And we have to determine whether or not we're going to win this conflict. So if you can, go to InfoWarsStore.com, search through the products, check out TurboForce or BrainForce 
or Bodies, which is on sale for 40% off. See if there's something there for you because it is directly funding the info. I mean, if you're upset that our leaders are trying to give another, what is it, $95 billion to the Nazis in Ukraine in this conflict that doesn't really make any sense for us, then the way to counterfund that is to support the Infowar or other independent journalists that you, you trust and believe in as well. I mean, I'm not even just trying to advocate for, for Infowars itself. There are other battalions. There are other legions. There are other units that exist in this war that you can support. But Infowars has proven itself over the last 20 or 30 years to be consistent, determined, accurate, and basically impossible to compromise. I mean, it would have been so easy for Alex Jones to simply take a job at Fox or take a job at one of these other networks or become this sort of radio personality with a producer and a boss and an editor. And he made the wise decision, a very American decision, that it's better to struggle and have total freedom over your own manifest destiny, over, over your own trajectory, than it is to sit in comfort and wealth and ease at the behest of someone else or some other organization or some other agenda, right? And so we can embody that philosophy, that, that decision that Alex Jones made, not just once, but time and time again, to determine his own destiny, to be the captain of his own soul. We can embody that by investing in the InfoWar and enlisting in the InfoWar as InfoWarriors. Stay with us, folks. We're going to cover more news in the next segment. A lot of crazy things going on in the world. 29 years on air. All I've wanted to do was warn the people about the globalist. And I've done the best job I can to tell the truth and been accurate. And we are on record as the most accurate there are. And I've tried to sell products to fund ourselves. Unlike other communist revolutionaries that rob banks and kidnap people, we don't do that. We try to bring you products that really work. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm scared of this product. It's so powerful. This is the breakdown product after your cells process it of folic acid, methyl folate with high quality organic B complex. This stuff is rocket fuel. It's not a stimulant. It energizes your cells and then everything else you take just supercharges it. It's so insane. It's foundational energy. The strongest formula out there at InfoWarsStore.com. It doesn't just energize this operation against the tyrants. It energizes you. Get foundational energy now. InfoWars.com is tomorrow's news today. Getting funky. It's the American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. Sorry for doing a plug for 20 minutes straight in the last segment. But I felt inspired to do so. I wonder where you guys want to start. Do you want to start with Fanny or do you want to start with Putin? Let's start with Fanny. I love this headline. Don Salazar is really talented here at InfoWars. This article is from InfoWars.com. Fanny pounded. 
as Nathan Wade testifies to cash money reimbursements and former friend flushes her defense. We're going to run clip six here in a second. On Thursday, special prosecutor Nathan Wade testified under oath that he charged several lavish vacations with DA Fannie Willis to his corporate credit card while working on the Trump case and was later reimbursed in cash by Fannie. The relationship between Wade and Willis is the subject of an evidently evidentiary hearing as part of Willis's sprawling racketeering case brought against former President Donald Trump and 18 co-defendants for their alleged efforts to overturn or, quote, correct, depending on your perspective, the results of the 2020 U.S. election in Georgia. Wade also testified that his marriage was uh, irretrievably broken in 2015 and that his wife agreed to a divorce, but they held off because their children were still in school. So I don't know if you guys had a chance to see this testimony that she made. First of all, she shows up, and I, I don't believe she was even supposed to be a witness that day. She just showed up and said, put me on the stand, and they, and they did. And if you look closely, it took people a long time to notice it. I didn't even see a post about this observation until late last night. At, I mean, hours upon hours after clips had been going viral already. She's wearing her dress backwards. I mean, she shows up. She is totally disheveled. She's not supposed to be on the stand. And then she gets on the stand in base, inside out or backwards clothes. You can see the zipper on the front. The zippers go in the back. Somebody looked up the dress online and found that it was actually supposed to be the other way around anyway. It's insane. She's like totally a nutcase. She shows up and then she just proceeds to incriminate herself. I mean, she basically just confessed in some sort of a self-righteous way to several crimes seemingly. I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me illegal to take campaign funds and put them in your own pocket. I don't know. I mean, at least the other politicians who do it try to cover it up or launder it through a book sale or something like that. But she just pocketed this money. She was in cash app to reimburse and exchange money and pay herself basically illegally from her campaign, as I understand it. Now, let's start with clip number six here, and let's just get a little taste of this. He initially paid for that. For Aruba, yes, ma'am. So let's talk about both of those. I know he initially paid for it. Did you pay him back? For the cruise and for Aruba, yeah, I gave him his money before we ever went on that trip. You gave him cash before you ever went on the trip? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when you got cash to pay him back on these trips, would you go to the ATM? No, lady. You would not go to the ATM? No. Okay. So um, Fulton County pays you direct deposit, I assume? Yes, Fulton okay. County and the uh, state of Georgia both pay me direct deposits. Okay. So the cash that you would pay him, you wouldn't get it out of the bank? I have money in my house. You have money in your house. So it was just money that was there. When you meet my father, he's going to tell you as a woman, you should always have, which I don't have, so let's don't tell him that. You should have at least six months in cash at your house at all times. Now, I don't know why this old black man feels like that, but he does. When we were growing up, my daddy had three safes in the house. So my father's bought me a lockbox, and I always keep cash in the house. Now, I don't do it to the degree that my father would do it, so he would probably be uh, ashamed with me. But I always have cash at the house. That has been six monies. I don't know. Is that six hundred dollars? I'm life. not familiar with this line. Is that what six monies means? Six hundred dollars? She said six months. Oh, six months. I thought she said six monies. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. dad always said but you gotta also, have six monies. <laughs> that also begs the question, well, okay, so you depleted your six months 
you know, stash your cash stash. Did you, how did you, uh, fill it back up? You know, right. Uh, did right. You, you don't use your you emergency fund to... for just basic transactions. Right. And then on top of that, you know, when someone's lying and they get into like an oddly specific tangent, I feel like that's what yeah. she's doing here. Yeah. Right. Like on Wednesday, uh, I met Taylor Swift and, uh, I was wearing this really cool shirt. Yeah. Uh, it was blue and, uh, I was wearing it backwards. Yeah. It was totally bizarre, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so, you know, one of those odds oddly specific things right it's like uh we didn't need the details of your dad i want to see more of this if you guys have clip two ready this is fanny wills grilled over cash payments to her her lover it looks like it it goes on Uh, i gotta see more of this and where um when did he come to i guess the condo i'm not sure what you called it condo apartment um would he come and stay at that condo or visit you there i'm sorry visit you there what condo, what apartment, I want to be clear. So, not your house. I know you classified one as house and one as condo, so I'm trying to use those terms. So, um, there's been more that, see, what you don't understand is because of this case, I got to move. And so, I, I need question, to, if you could ask a more precise question. Yes, please, give me the time period. <laughs> Mr. Wade visits you at the place you laid your head. When? Has he ever visited you at the place you laid your head? So, let's be clear, because you've lied in this, this, let me tell you which one you lied in, right here. I think you lied right here. No, 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 no. This is the truth, Judge. And this, it, it, it is a lie. It is gonna, a lie. Ms. Will, Mr. Sena, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. We'll be back in five. Unbelievable. Clip four was actually the one that I meant to run. That was great, too. But let's dive straight into clip four, where it's specific about some of her transactions with her lover. Did you ever pay him through Cash App? No. You only ever paid him through cash? Well, yes. Uh, we're talking about, I'm very confused. You've never now. given like, Mr. Wade money through cash app? No. The only money you've ever given him outside of a contract is cash. I didn't give him money in a contract, so that was cute, but I didn't give him money outside, uh, in a contract. What happened is, no, we're going to answer it since you said it. He worked. He worked more hours than he was paid, and the county paid him for the work that he did. So don't be cute with me and then think that you're not going to get an answer. And I will ask you about the contract in a minute. I asked you about cash. Did you ever pay him anything? And I'm trying to qualify my questions. I'm not talking about the contract with Fulton County that, that was paid. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about outside of that, did you ever pay him anything other than cash? I've only given cash a few times in, in the course of what we're talking about. So you never if we would go to dinner, let, him, let her finish her answers. If we would go to dinner, I wouldn't give him cash because he paid for dinner or I paid for dinner. I've given him cash only a few times in life, probably four. Okay. Probably the most money I've ever handed him is $2,500. The least amount of money I've handed him, probably between $500 and $1,000. You never wrote him a check? Ma'am, I don't have checks. Um, so you have no proof of any reimbursement for any of these things because it was all cash, right? The testimony of one witness is enough to prove a fact. So my question was, do you have I'm any lying proof? To you? Is that what you're intimating right here? I'm asking if you have any proof that you paid him any I mean, of these The monies. proof is what I just told you. You have no written proof. Is that correct? So I have some... Um, Probably some transactions like in Belize. I probably spent $500 on my card uh, in Belize. I spent 
800, I can't remember, 900 bucks on each of our tickets to go to Belize. I did the $700. I probably got some <coughs> minor expenses in Aruba that would be on a card. But for the most part for those trips, other than, so the two cruises, I gave him money for those before we ever left. Um, Cause they were pre-booked. Let me answer. Well, the, the, the question was if you had any written proof. And so, so I've answered you that I've had written we proof. We can move to the next question. If you've answered, if we had any written proof, and that was my question. Um, I, I want to make sure that we're clear that for the two cruises, Judge, that's I the asked cruise if she gave him written proof. We're not going to talk over Miss <laughs> Merchant, she answered your question. So, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, all right, how? How should she have handled this? First of all, she shouldn't have gone on the stand if she didn't need to be on the stand that day. That's number one. Second of all, she should have put her dress on the right way. And third of all, you you never lose your cool in a situation like that. And one of the things that was impressive about the Putin interview, and I can see that he's probably an evil guy, was how calm and cool and collected he was during the entire two-hour conversation answering questions that were likely frustrating for him talking about frustrating topics. You got to keep your cool if you're going to win people over. There's one more clip I'm going to show you on the other side of this break. Stick with us, folks. Morning. Hello, Americans. I want to share with you a story, a story about inflammation, the silent menace that lurks within our bodies, affecting our health and well-being. Inflammation, the root cause of countless ailments, quietly wreaking havoc over time. Long-term exposure to inflammation has been linked to a myriad of health issues, from heart disease to arthritis, even cognitive decline. But fear not, for there's a beacon of hope found in the wisdom of nature, a remedy that has stood the test of time, turmeric. And now I present to you Baudis from InfoWarsStore.com, a powerful blend crafted with precision, boasting 95% curcuminoids extracted from turmeric. It's good for your heart, your brain, everything. It is 40% off, back in stock, body's ultimate turmeric formula, InfoWarsStore.com. I'm a humble person, and I want to say that I'm just a man, but I'm not just a man, just like you. No matter what color you are, whether you're a man or a woman, you were made by the creator of the universe who had a plan for you, who has a destiny for you. That's why the system hates you and fears you, and that's why they hate me. It's because the spirit I carry is one of justice and truth and courage and honor and will and love. My friends, the enemy's coming after me, not because I'm a loser, but because I'm a winner. They're coming after you, not because you're a bad person, because you're a good person because you love God and God loves you. And so I signed up for this. I signed up for this fight. And I'm not a victim. I'm an overcomer. But I can't fight this fight without you. And that's why I want you to always remember that I appreciate you and I thank you because InfoWars is your fight. InfoWars is your baby. It's the thing you built. We did this together. So God bless you all. Let's keep fighting. Listening to the American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I'm Chase Geyser, your host this morning, but have no fear, Harrison is here. He will be hosting the War Room this afternoon. Owen Schroyer will be hosting the Alex Jones Show. Alex has just given his voice a rest for a couple days. He's actually been popping around the office. I've seen him every day in the office this week. 
And he's been uh, joining some X spaces that have been fantastic. Yesterday, Alex joined a great space talking about these space nukes, and we'll dive into that a little bit more later. But I want to just wrap up this Fannie Willis story for a second. So we're going to run clip nine, which is Fannie preaching the importance of morality and having a certain type of distinguished leader who would never betray the confidence of their constituents and would abide by a strict moral and ethical code. Let's run nine. Because they deserve a DA that won't have sex with his employees. Because they deserve a DA that won't put money in their own pocket when it should go to benefit children. Because we deserve better. Okay, there she is saying that. Now, let's run clip eight, which is seemingly Fanny admitting on stand in a inside-out or a backwards dress when she didn't even have to be a witness that she <laughs> did all those things? <laughs> let's go ahead and run eight. Yeah. Well, it's been my whole life. When I took out a large amount of money on my first campaign, I kept some of the cash of that. Uh-huh. Like, to tell you, I just have cash in my house. I don't have as much today as I would normally have, but... I'm building back up now. So you just put money in. It's a very good practice. I would advise it to all women. So you can't identify when you came into this cash or where the cash came from? I didn't say I couldn't identify it. No, nobody gives me anything. I am sure that the source of the money is always the work, sweat, and tears of me. What you asked me for is when did the money go in there? What I am trying to tell you is, so I got divorced in 2005 from my husband. And, and no, 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 no. It's important. You said, where did the money come from? And I need to tell you where the money came from. And so for many, many years, I have kept money in my house. That money in my worst days has probably only been five hundred or a thousand dollars. At my best days, I probably had fifteen thousand dollars in my house at cash at all times. There's going to be cash in my house or wherever I'm laying my head. The money that you paid, Mr. Wade, the cash in October of 2022, you do not know where that money came from. I do know where it came from. It came from my sweat and tears. You know which job it came from. Did it come from Fulton County or did it come from a private job? It came from, I don't, I'm not a, what are you talking about? So it could have come from a private job because before I was DA, I was in private practice. So I earned money during that time period that's probably in there. She literally admitted at the beginning of that segment that she took money out of the campaign fund and put it in her own pocket. I mean, she, she explicitly admitted that. I don't know if she accidentally did or if she doesn't realize that it's against the law. But the funny thing is the way that she rationalizes it, she's saying that it was money from her own sweat and tears. And my dad gave me a piece of business advice that really stuck with me years ago. My dad was is a small business owner, but he owned a small IT company in a small town in the Midwest where I grew up for years, decades. And was successful by his sweat and tears and by his sort of self-learning. And I mean, he, the guy reads like a fiend consistently and has mentors and takes advice. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. He's just a really brilliant sort of unassuming all-American small business owner. This was a piece of advice of advice that he had actually received from a peer that he then bestowed upon me. He said he was told it's not a matter of if your accountant or financial advisor will steal from you, it's a matter of when. And typically what happens is over an extended period of time, an employee or a person you're working with will in their own mind 
feel that they are entitled to more than they are compensated. And sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. Often it's not. But after the excitement of their sort of initial compensation and their satisfaction with that over time, people just tend to become less satisfied with what they have. They take it for granted. It's less important to them. It's it's true of all of us. And in the position of a financial advisor or an accountant, if you go 20 years and they feel that they're doing all this amazing stuff for you that you're not even aware of and they've been compensated the same amount for a long time, they begin to feel entitled to some of your money that you did not agree to pay them. And that's sort of the thinking or the psychology behind the principle or the the belief, the advice that it's not a matter of if your financial advisor will steal from you or your accountant will steal from you. It's a matter of when. Obviously, there's exceptions to every rule. There's exceptions to that rule. There's some people that it would take 500 or 1,000 years before they'd finally buckle, so not in, in any single lifetime. But in this instance, you see someone who in the first clip explicitly stated that DAs should not be taking money and putting it in their own pocket, but they should be helping the children, whatever that means. She explicitly stated several things. And then just a couple years later, we see this clip of her on the stand and she is just adamant, even in her own mind, that she was entitled to money that was literally illegal for her to have. I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't only stealing, but it was, I believe that, that would be a campaign finance violation to just pocket money that was been donated to a campaign in your own personal checking account. And she says it's by her own sweat and tears. So she had rationalized in her own mind why she had the right to do what she did, why she had sort of the moral philosophical backing justification to do what she did already. And she's on the stand confessing to this crime. So brainwashed, so deluded that she doesn't even realize that it's abundantly wrong. Even, even though she explicitly stated years ago in that first clip that what she would later do was the wrong thing to do. It's like Saruman in Lord of the Rings when he sort of infected and infested the mind of King Theoden through Cream of Wormtongue. Over time, you just get corrupted by this, this nagging sort of devil on your shoulder and it's easy to fall into the trap, but she should have known better. She knew she did know better. She proved that she knew better by saying that she knew better in that first clip. And it just goes to show how sort of incompetent and terrible of a person that she is. And what's really funny about it to me is despite the fact that she appears so stupid, especially juxtaposed to other leaders like Trump or Putin Despite the fact that she's got her dress on backwards, she wasn't even supposed to be there, and then she takes the stand and just proceeds to admit to crime after crime and incriminate herself. Despite the fact that she is abundantly stupid, and it's abundantly obvious that she is, she still comes off sharper than Joe Biden. I mean, she could put a woman, she could put a, a sentence together at least, right? Which is more than what Biden could do, and that's what's particularly alarming to me when somebody like that 
is more, more articulate and coherent than the president of the United States, we have a serious problem, which brings me to this next story. Biden slammed her for asking about Bo's death. Sources say Biden actually brought it up. So hours after last week's release of special counsel Robert Hur's report on Biden's handling of classified documents, which described the president as a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory and diminished faculties, quote, diminished faculties, Team Biden pushed their man in front of reporters in a hopeless bid to demonstrate that his mind is fully intact. Of course, it backfired and backfired in various ways. Most notably when Biden referred to Egyptian President Sisi as the president of Mexico. And we'll show the clip. I'm not sure how long the clip is, but just look how in, incoherent and unhinged he is here in clip seven. And then we'll talk about it before the break. Some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Let me tell you something. Some of you have commented, I wear since the day he died, every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... Every Memorial Day, we hold a service remembering him, attending by friends and family and the people who loved him. I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone to remind me when he passed away or passed away. Simple truth is I sat for a five-hour interview over two days of events going back 40 years. At the same time I was managing an international crisis, their task was to make a decision. All right, so to move we have Biden going up there. Case. That saying that he was appalled that he was even asked when his son died and bringing up the fact that his memory was called into question and then forgetting saint or whatever that was associated with his prayer beads or his prayer bracelet. I mean, guys, what are you going to do? Hey, let me start by saying you do a great show. Thank you. Hey, let me point out that I took X2 iodine. I started taking that stuff. The best iodine I think I ever found is what you guys are selling. When did you start taking and it? I, about four years ago, I had high blood pressure and I was on blood pressure medicine. Mm-hmm. And I started eating a little better, but my blood pressure stayed high. And when I took X2 iodine after about three or four weeks, I think my body detoxified of a bunch of metals and stuff that my body was storing. And my blood pressure came down to perfect level. And I tell people the only thing I did was X2 iodine. And even though I do think all your other products are good, I recommend to anybody that they start with X2 iodine because it detoxifies your body and kind of kicks your natural DNA in, into uh, full force. So in my in my life, I found X2 iodine the best. I tried other iodines and they didn't have the same effect. But So X2 iodine, I really wanted to point that out. The following report is from Dr. Anna Maria Mielcia's recent article entitled Hydrogel Platform Enables Versatile Data Encryption and Decryption. The building blocks of hydrogels are being found in the COVID vaccine, and hydrogels are being found in the blood of both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. They are the so-called blood clots that are being found around the world, and these hydrogels can now be programmed, encrypted, and decrypted. 
According to Mielcia, they are the substrate of the brain-computer interface and the primary method of fusing humans with machines. As she described, by referencing MIT research in the article, Hydrogel Interfaces for Merging Humans and Machines. Elements which Mielcia and Clifford Carnicom found with near-infrared spectroscopy in the blood of the unvaccinated exposed to shedding and environmental contamination include hydrogel plastics such as polyenes, vinyl, nylon, Kevlar, and spider silk proteins, as well as other nanotechnology signatures such as silicone and sulfur. This technology hijacks methyl groups, which are needed to detoxify and create glutathione in the body. Hydrogels used for the encrypted programmable technology include polyvinyl alcohol and polycaprolactone. Both of these hydrogels are listed as stealth nanoparticles in the Moderna patent for lipid nanoparticle composition. This suggests that not only those who received the shot have this hydrogel encryption technology in their bodies, but also those who have experienced shedding and environmental contamination, which is just about everyone. These hydrogels are known to be programmable and encrypted. This technology can behave as brain storage. It can store memories and visual information in an individual's brain, and it can be chemically induced to be securely encrypted and decrypted, allowing for the secure recording and storage of confidential visual information. This provides a platform for secure financial transactions, which is a requirement for a digital ID. MIT researchers have discussed how this very same technology can be used to fuse humans with machines. And while they've had problems working it out in the past, a recent paper has announced they found success using the very same elements found in both the blood of the vaccinated and unvaccinated by Mielcia and Carnicom. In a lecture by Professor Sakrat Kizroev at the University of Miami, it is discussed how advanced materials can be used for interfacing machines and the human brain. He references a research project funded by DARPA, wherein magnetic nanoparticles are key to this technology. Mielcia has published research that shows how the COVID shots alter torsion fields in the body and produce magnetism. A review by the RAND Corporation, Brain-Computer Interfaces, U.S. Military Applications and Implications, discuss the convergence of human with machine. In an interview with Big Pharma whistleblower Karen Kingston, Kingston discusses this self-assembly nanotechnology and how the spike protein is an engineered device triggered by electromagnetic frequency and how the quantum dots are gene editing technology. This nanotechnology appears to be distributed via chemtrails, the food and water supply, medications, and in all of the scheduled vaccines for children. It has been found by multiple scientists in the blood of both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And the fact that this widespread technology is being ignored while the topic of mRNA is being pushed into the mainstream is of great concern. Mielcia has shown that the new protocols being sold to the public as a way of reversing the negative effect of the COVID shots have no effect on these hydrogels, and it would seem that well over a billion people are infected with them. While many are talking about an archaic implanted computer chip, it seems that the latest breakthrough technology has already been deployed without anyone's consent. The situation almost seems hopeless, but where there is a will, there is a way. 
And now is not the time to hide our head in the sand. The human body is miraculous, and our potential is endless. The more people addressing this dire situation, the better chances we have of finding a remedy. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Journal with Chase Geyser. A testament to America's resilience and resolve. Roseanne Barr had an epic rant on the Alex Jones show. I think it was like the first two weeks that I worked here. It would have been the very beginning of July of 2023. And I cut up that rant and put this song in the background of it. I think it got over a million views on Instagram. It just blew up. She is really a remarkable remarkable woman you know it's interesting too because i was talking to one of my close friends about the roseanne show the original one not the reboot that they fired her from and all that drama but we were talking about the original roseanne show with the classic iconic intro of the camera sort of panning around the dining room table and the family sort of arguing over i think it even had rc cola in it you know because that was the poor man's soda and they were eating pizza and stuff it's such a great intro but that was one of the first sitcoms that sort of portrayed the american family as a real family i mean it was a dysfunctional family they loved each other unconditionally they were loyal to each other unconditionally so they were intact they were healthy in that sense their values aligned but it was a dysfunctional family. I mean, every episode is a, a major crisis, right? One of the early episodes of that show is the the father. Is it, is it John Goodman? Is that his name? Forgive me. Yeah. John Goodman is sort of having a midlife crisis, and he wants to enter this songwriting competition. And Roseanne's really encouraging him to do it because the song is really good that he wrote, but he's shy about it because he hasn't played music in so long. And it's it's just so wholesome yet real and raw the struggle and it's it's funny that this show sort of comes out in the context of the 80s and 90s when we were coming out of the cold war and we were coming out of this rapid inflation and there were a lot of blue collar families just as there are now that were really struggling at that time particularly in manufacturing because we were outsourcing it all to china and basically just evaporating all those jobs in the United States. And I think people forgot what that was like for like 20 years, maybe until the housing crisis of 2008. But things were really getting better from 2012, basically until 2020. And there is a generation of people, namely my generation, the millennial generation, that for the first time is experiencing what it's like when things aren't good. So I graduated from high school in 2010. Obviously, that was sort of right after the major economic crash, but I was dependent on my parents at the time, 18-year-old kid, and I know that my dad was feeling stressed out with with business and work and things like that because the the damage to the economy was so all-encompassing that it was 
virtually impossible not to feel. But my dad was really good at sort of keeping that stuff away from the family. I'm sure that he and my mom talked about it, but I never felt uncomfortable or worried or presented with my dad's concerns as a child, which is one of the things I appreciate about him. And I go to college, and by the time I graduate from college, it's 2014, and that's when things really started to get better again, economically speaking. I know Barack Obama was a a terrible president, but he basically started in a terrible economic environment. So there was nowhere to go but up, and I would purport that the economic improvements that happened during the Obama administration happened despite the Obama administration. And then, of course, Donald Trump gets elected in 2016, and I literally started my small business, my advertising business, four weeks after Donald Trump was inaugurated. And my business, all the way through the pandemic, every month was better than the month before. And it wasn't until the end of the pandemic when the Biden administration set in that I really began to feel the weight of how bad things are economically in this country. And I noticed it when I was in Eagle Pass when we drove down there. I mean, this this town is dilapidated. It's basically falling apart. Frankly, it's just shabby. And I noticed it all over Austin, Texas. And Austin is, is it's, it's, a, it's a blue city, but it it's not like San Francisco because San Francisco has the disadvantage of being a blue city in a very blue state. Austin is a blue city in a red state. So it has the economic benefits of more prudent sort of responsible decisions at the state level. So I was at the gas station this morning right before I came in and I'm looking around at the, the people in line and their clothes were just like tat, literally tattered and they weren't homeless people. These were just working class people picking up a Gatorade before they go to whatever job site they're going to, just regular sort of contractors. And there's there's holes in their clothes and their shoes are ripping away from the soles. And it was like, almost like looking at a photograph from the Great Depression where you see people just in, in hand-me-down and hand-me-down. And it reminded me of my grandmother who grew up in the Dust Bowl during the Great Depression. And she told me a few stories. She was very sort of modest about it. She was a very classy lady, very elegant. And she was a very talented pianist. And so she gave me piano lessons growing up every Sunday. And she would tell me stories now and then. And I remember she told me she was only allowed to wear shoes on Sunday to church. Because they were so poor that they couldn't afford to wear their shoes during the week. Because they, if they wore them out, that, that would be it. They'd be shot. And she remembers the dust and how just sort of barren everything was and the struggle. And we're starting to see the remnants of that manifest in the United States of America today. And there are a number of different factors that are contributing to it. It's a hyper-complicated economic situation. We're a very complicated nation in a very complicated and ever increasingly complicated world. But it's very clear that 
this Biden administration and the intelligence community and the bureaucrats in our federal government seem to have no incentive to solve any of our problems. You hear people criticize China and Russia for things like, oh, Russia, wow, they're doing so terrible. They're literally just throwing bodies into the meat grinder. Or, oh, China, they're doing so terribly. They're going to have a major depopulation crisis. And those things are true. But as Americans, we tend to commit the fallacy of assuming that every other nation has the same political dynamic as we do in the United States. In that we assume that just because traditionally, it isn't this way anymore, but traditionally there has been some sort of accountability between the people in the United States of America and the politicians. Traditionally, our politicians, though they were corrupt and they would lie to us, did really genuinely fight hard to earn the support of the people. Because after all, they were, at least for some time, empowered based off of elections, especially Congress. But in China and in Russia, it doesn't matter what the people think at all because they're not constitutional republics. They're not democracies. I mean, you got to keep in mind that during the Great Leap Forward between 1958 and 62 – Estimates from 50 to 100 million people died of starvation, and there is still a cult of personality around Chairman Mao. They still love him despite the fact that everybody is related to somebody who starved to death due to his leadership and his decisions. That's how bad the cognitive dissonance is there. And the same was true for a long time in the USSR, of course, before the collapse. And the point I'm trying to make is we are now crossing a threshold in the United States where – Not only does it not matter what the people think about our politicians because there's no accountability, but our politicians have now realized this and weaponized this. So you go back just 10 years to the Obama administration, for example, and at least Barack Obama would very seriously – try to successfully lie to cover his tracks, successfully cover things up, successfully lie about things like being able to keep your doctor and the nature of the Affordable Care Act. And the Bush administration would at least try to lie. Bill Clinton would at least try to lie. I smoked pot, but I did not inhale. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There was some sort of fear of the people among our political class just 10 or 20 or 30 years ago that vaporized in the last five years or so to the point where we have the Karine Jean-Pierre's and the Jen Psaki's going up and blatantly lying on behalf of the Biden administration where we have court documents explicitly stating that Joe Biden's faculties are diminished where we have one political candidate being prosecuted aggressively for harboring so-called classified information in their home and another one being let off the hook for having classified information in their garage where the Hunter Bidens walk around, where the Fannie Willis's can admit to committing campaign finance fraud or violations 
And we don't know if she's ever actually going to be held accountable in any real way. Maybe. I doubt she'll go to prison. When was the last time you saw a politician go to prison? I guess Anthony Weiner. And so my concern here is that we've got a situation in which our politicians realize that they're not accountable to us and still don't see my content. Of course, I saw this content. (laughs) In the messages dated April of 2023, Taibbi could be seen asking Musk whether he was being shadow banned following Musk's crackdown on Substack, which Taibbi writes for. So Taibbi was really pushing his Substack because that's how he makes his money, people being able to contribute to his Substack, which is like a Patreon of, of for journalists, right? You write articles, people subscribe to support the work that you do. And I believe, I don't know what the number is, but I believe Taibi has traditionally made a substantial amount of money on that platform because he's a very talented journalist. Quote, we went on lockdown after discovering that Substack had stolen a massive amount of our data to pre-populate their Twitter ripoff, replied Musk. Looks like there is still a blanket search ban should be fixed by tomorrow. He added, going forward, tweets with Substack will not appear in for you unless it is paid advertising just like Facebook, Instagram, etc. So Substack basically set itself up as a competitor, stole data from Twitter in order to support that competitor. And that's why Musk began treating it like a competitor, shutting it down, not favoring those, those links. Taibi questioned Elon I've repeatedly declined to criticize you and have nothing to do with your beef with Substack. Is there a reason why I'm being put in the middle of things? This really seems crazy. And Musk simply replied, you are dead to me. Please get off Twitter and just stay on Substack. So it seems like there's more going on here than meets the eye. And typically I don't like to read the entirety of any article on air. But I am going to finish this one just because I want to cover all the details. Prior to their falling out, Taibbi was seen as a close ally of Musk, of course, because of the Twitter files. And was described by House Delegate Stacey Plaskett as one of Elon Musk's public scribes during a hearing in March of 2023. Their relationship deteriorated just weeks later after Substack, a website Taibbi writes for, announced the launch of a Twitter rival. Musk retaliated by blocking all links to Substack, which prompted Taibbi to announce his departure from Musk's platform. Taibbi criticized Musk and several other Twitter posts on Thursday calling the social network worse than ever. Quote, supposed free speech champion Elon Musk has decided to suppress this account forever instead of just talking to me, protested Taibi. Elon Musk is uncomfortable around people who aren't afraid of him and wants to prove he can hurt my business instead of just talking to me, even if it means suppressing access to news he thinks is important. So it sounds pretty bitter. But what doesn't makes sense to me is why did elon musk just spontaneously say you are dead to me to taibi there's there's something missing here in this chain of communication that doesn't really make sense it makes sense to me that musk would be combative and antagonistic towards substack for stealing twitter data in order to support its competitor to twitter i understand why he would block the links to Substack articles and things. And that makes perfect sense to me. That's just a business decision. But why is it that seemingly out of nowhere in that exchange, Musk literally just said, you are dead to me, to Taibi. But the fact that he's coming after him saying that he's not really a free speech advocate because of the Substack decision that he's making, just a, it just doesn't add up. It's, this is just so bitter and weird. It's reminiscent of the interactions many of us had with friends and family over the sort of political disparity and division that's in this country right now. So 
In the context of the free speech information war that's going on domestically, it is continuing to being continuing to be waged overseas as well. Obviously, Vladimir Putin is notorious for suppressing the press, for arresting journalists. This is something that is a criticism of him that I believe is true. The only issue I take with those who criticize Putin for this is that they disregard the fact that those who they support here domestically basically do the same exact thing. We'll dive into that a little bit. But Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies in jail. This happened apparently just within the last 24 hours. I started seeing articles about it very early this morning before the sun was up. And I don't know what to think of this. So it's it's possible, if not likely, that Putin did actually call for the death of this journalist. We know that it's very likely that he was responsible for the plane crash of the plane harboring the man who led the Wagner group and had ostensibly staged a coup. So it's not unimaginable that this was simply a political assassination. But it's also interesting to me that this happened immediately after all of this news here in the United States of these space nukes where we have Jake Sullivan coming out saying that there's a major national security threat that's imminent where we have calls for Congress to immediately declassify the information so that the United States and its allies, particularly NATO allies can discuss what to do in response to the so-called threat of space nukes, space nukes that of course would violate the outer space treaty of 1967 and potentially justify legally in the international stage a NATO war with Russia. And within 24 hours, Navalny dies. This guy's been in prison in Russia for a couple of years, I think since 2021, three years. He's just a political opponent. And I wonder if this classified information, this is just my speculation. I could be way off base on this, and we'll open up a, an X space uh, the rest of the show after, after this segment. We can talk about it, but I wonder if Navalny was in any way responsible for information being leaked or given to the United States that was used yesterday as sort of a pretext or a catalyst for this this global war. But it's just very bizarre to me that this assassination happens immediately after this major news break. So Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny died in a maximum security prison in the country's far north the Interfax News Service reported Friday, citing the Federal Penitentiary Service. 47-year-old Navalny, a major critic of President Vladimir Putin, vanished in December from a prison in the Vladimir region. They relocated him a bunch. He later emerged in an Arctic prison camp and disappeared again. Then on February 16, 2024, in penal colony number three. Man, that sounds so Soviet. Convict A.A. A. Navalny, Felt unwell after a walk, almost immediately losing consciousness, Interfax said, citing the country's prison service. Apparently, he died of a stroke. That's what they're saying. Though he's not very old and was apparently in good health very recently. Navalny's death leaves any opposition to Putin in question. All of Putin's top adversaries are now either deceased, imprisoned, or living in exile. Navalny was undoubtedly the biggest thorn in the Kremlin side. For over a decade, he led nationwide protests against the authorities, ran for office to challenge members of the Russian establishment, and set up a network of campaign offices across the country that have since been dismantled. 
years ago, President Biden did issue a threat to President Putin saying that there would be major consequences if Navalny was killed. And obviously this is a terrible thing. I think it's likely that this was a political assassination. It's possible that we did it to frame them, but I doubt it. I think that this is a political assassination. It's a very politically tumultuous time just globally right now. But to suggest that this gives the United States any sort of moral high ground is utterly misguided. I mean, let's just keep in mind some of the treatment that the United States government has bestowed upon similar political dissidents, protesters, journalists, and others. Keep in mind, Edward Snowden exercised every legal possibility to be a whistleblower regarding the espionage of the American people under the guise of the Patriot Act that was blatantly illegal, blatantly a violation of the Fourth Amendment. And he had to seek asylum in Moscow, of all places. Look what happened to Julian Assange. Look at the obvious assassination or murder of Jeffrey Epstein. Look at all of the J6 protesters who are spending decades in prison as if we are better, folks. It's absolutely crazy to make that claim. Hello, Americans. I want to share with you a story, a story about inflammation, the silent menace that lurks within our bodies, affecting our health and well-being. Inflammation, the root cause of countless ailments, quietly wreaking havoc over time. Long-term exposure to inflammation has been linked to a myriad of health issues, from heart disease to arthritis, even cognitive decline. But fear not, for there's a beacon of hope found in the wisdom of nature, a remedy that has stood the test of time, turmeric. And now I present to you Baudis from InfoWarsStore.com, a powerful blend crafted with precision, boasting 95% curcuminoids extracted from turmeric. It's good for your heart, your brain, everything. It is 40% off, back in stock, Baudis Ultimate Turmeric Formula, InfoWarsStore.com. InfoWars.com is tomorrow's news today. This is the American Journal, where Chase Geyser brings America's stories to the forefront. Folks, I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. We've got an hour and a half left of the show. We just fired up a space on X. Go to at InfoWars on X and join the space that way. You can also go to my profile on X at Real Chase Geyser, and you should be able to tap on my profile picture and join the space that way. We're going to let it populate over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, and then at the top of the hour, we will start giving speakers access to share their thoughts, share their mind. And if the... Listeners in the space uh, are not in the mood to speak at the top of the hour. We may actually take some old school traditional calls. That could be fun too to give our landline audience, our cell phone audience a chance to uh, participate again in the show. We should not forget about those who are responsible for the reason we were able to stay in business over the course of the several years that we were deplatformed from every major social media platform until X allowed us back on last 
So there is some new news that is supposed to be coming in today. Trump's civil fraud trial verdict is, is expected today. A verdict is expected Friday, which today, in Donald Trump's New York civil fraud trial, adding to a consequential week for the former president's legal calendar. So he could be hit, I guess, in this instance, with millions of dollars in penalties and other sanctions in the decision by Judge Arthur Engeron, our favorite supervillain. He's already ruled that the former president inflated his wealth on financial statements that were given to banks, insurers, and others to make deals and secure loans. So he's set to rule after it's been now two and a half months of testimony from 40 witnesses. And the closing arguments were on January 11th. So we should be hearing something from him today. They've estimated that Trump exaggerated his wealth by as much as $3.6 billion, which probably isn't true. And it's kind of moot, even if it is true, because I don't even believe the lenders are the plaintiffs here. I mean, he paid back the loans, as I understand it. State lawyers contend that Trump used the inflated numbers to get lower insurance premiums and favorable loan terms, saving at least $168 million on interest alone. So Engeron's going to decide six claims in James' lawsuit, including allegations of conspiracy, falsifying business records, and insurance fraud. State lawyers allege that Trump exaggerated his wealth by as much as $3.6 billion. So we know that they already made the decision before they issued this sort of prosecution. We know that this is an example of lawfare. We know that there weren't actually any harmed parties in this so-called feud or dispute. No one's complaining. They're, They're literally just trying to dig anything up possible that they can use to weaken him financially, that they can use to slander him and berate him and, and just make his followers look like idiots in the mainstream media. Anything they can do to render it less likely that he becomes the president of the United States again in 2025. Of course, when he's inaugurated, 2024, he'll be elected. And the level of just conflicts of interest and hypocrisy you have the left constantly calling for supreme court justices to recuse themselves from these cases and then you have them supporting Engeron, despite the fact that before this trial even began his wife was just bragging all over social media that trump was dead meat basically and then you have the likes of these lawfare sort of pawns in the globalist agenda claiming that Donald Trump is the fraudster, that Donald Trump is the criminal, the liar, the con man, and disregarding the fact that Joe Biden is obviously missing very important cognitive faculties, despite the fact that we know the Biden crime family is just that, a Biden crime family. There's an abundant amount of evidence in financial records to show that there was a money laundering scheme going on in Ukraine and other parts of the world through Hunter Biden's firm, Rosemont Seneca, that Joe Biden was directly receiving kickback from and that this money laundering scheme did involve businesses that were receiving government contracts. And they say that Donald Trump is responsible for quid pro quo because of a perfect phone call that he had with Zelensky. And... We just showed the clip on the screen of Joe Biden literally bragging about quid pro quo when he threatened to withhold U.S. foreign aid illegally from Ukraine unless they fired the prosecutor that was investigating Burisma and others in Ukraine that Hunter Biden was in business with. 
And then you have them coming after Trump, trying to say he's a criminal, trying to indict him, trying to lock him up for literally hundreds of years while Fannie Willis sits on the stand and just explicitly admits that she has committed campaign finance violations, actually stolen money, similar to the way that Black Lives Matter was stealing money for its leaders, just pocketing the donations, just pocketing the money, not actually doing anything they said they were going to do. Absolute corruption. And there is very obviously a disproportionate application of the law. And it's very one-sided. They go after you if you are on the wrong political side. And they don't call foul when it's somebody from their side. It's as simple as that. And now we're seeing other things sort of creep into play. These moves made to weaken the likes of X and Elon Musk where we have SpaceX now reincorporating, I believe, in, in Texas because of some issues that they're having in Delaware, the laws that are changing and they're just trying to come after them. We have examples of the government declining or denying subsidies that Musk's companies were entitled to, tax subsidies, things like that. And we have examples of campaigns that seem to be very well coordinated by organizations, NGOs, very closely in cahoots with and working with the government, these campaigns to get all of the major advertisers, the Disney's, the major Hollywood studios, the other major businesses to just suddenly pull all of their advertising from X in an effort to cripple the business. I think it failed, but it was close. It definitely was painful for them. And so while we are imprisoned, while we are taxed and audited and prosecuted and harassed with lawfare and threats, and while we are accused of being domestic terrorists and held responsible for the actions of every transgender lunatic who commits a mass shooting, which is happening more and more frequently, they are literally funding the death of hundreds of thousands of people in wars in Ukraine in wars between Israel and Hamas and now the United States and Iraq and the United States and Iran through its proxies that we've attacked and bombed. And so they commit genocide and they literally give standing ovations to Nazis, but right-wing extremism is the greatest threat to national security until yesterday. And it's some classified Russian threat now that happens to be a very convenient manifestation for anyone, any nation, any organization, any globalist entity that is eager to go to war with Russia. So they can bring us into World War III. They can steal all of our tax dollars and give it to other nations while 10,000 people a day cross our border illegally. And they can just basically screw us every way to Sunday. And then they can make up that we're the ones doing what they are actually doing and prosecute and imprison us for it. There will be a reckoning because any time in history when there has been an injustice to this extent where a people are prosecuted simply for what they believe or who they are for an extended period of time in an incredibly unfair way, eventually those people say, that's enough. I'm done. I'm not going to be victimized anymore. And I just hope that when that day comes, we keep our heads, folks, because there is going to be a great 
temptation for us to exact a vengeance on this political class, the likes of which the world has never seen. Make sure you go to InfoWarsStore.com. Check out Bodies, which is 40% off. It's an amazing product. Highly recommend that you look at the details and see how it could help you. I also recommend TurboForce Plus and BrainForce Ultra. Stick with us, folks. More on the other side. In the early 1900s, certain companies were off-gassing highly toxic fluoride gases into the atmosphere. The surrounding communities began to get sick. Laws were enacted to compel these corporations to install scrubbers to convert these gases into fluorosilicic acid, still highly toxic but containable. Now these companies had a stockpile of this poison, and there was no affordable way to dispose of it. Lucky for them, one of their major stockholders was also the Secretary of the Treasury, who was responsible for the public health service at the time. And by 1950, the U.S. government began buying this toxic, untreated industrial waste product and dumping it into our drinking water. Reputable studies show that it's causing various cancers and other disease. With the Alexa Pure Pro, you can have clean drinking water and a remedy to this madness. Available now at InfoWarsStore.com. Hello, Americans. I want to share with you a story. A story about inflammation, the silent menace that lurks within our bodies, affecting our health and well-being. Inflammation, the root cause of countless ailments, quietly wreaking havoc over time. Long-term exposure to inflammation has been linked to a myriad of health issues, from heart disease to arthritis, even cognitive decline. But fear not, for there's a beacon of hope found in the wisdom of nature, a remedy that has stood the test of time, turmeric. And now I present to you Baudis from InfoWarsStore.com, a powerful blend crafted with precision, boasting 95% curcuminoids extracted from turmeric. It's good for your heart, your brain, everything. It is 40% off, back in stock, Baudis Ultimate Turmeric Formula, InfoWarsStore.com. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. We have fired up the space on X. So make sure you go to at Real Chase Geyser or, or at InfoWars. Join the space and request to speak if you'd like to be a speaker. The crew is going to help out with moderating this X space. We are trying to establish some standard operating procedures so that we can sort of streamline what the experience is like for the hosts as well as the audience when we do use X spaces. And so today, rather than me actually clicking on people and making them speakers and muting people and and managing that. I'm going to focus just on the conversation and the crew is going to be helping out. And we're going to try that to see if we can sort of get into a rhythm here with how we're going to do this on an ongoing basis moving forward. I do want to just take a moment to thank the audience for being patient with us for the last several weeks as we've been experimenting with this sort of new way to engage with the audience. I know that the traditional calls have been sort of a hallmark or a staple in the InfoWars brand, and we're not going to eliminate call-ins or anything like that. So for those of you who prefer to call, please don't be alarmed. But we really like to broadcast on the spaces 
Because when we broadcast on the spaces and people request to speak and we make them speakers, then their followers see that they are speaking in the space with InfoWars or with Harrison or with Alex Jones. And it creates a ripple effect or a snowball effect or a domino effect that can help increase the size of the info army in the info war like we've been talking about. So that's one of the reasons why we really love that. And plus, there are a lot of sort of influencer accounts, major accounts that are much more inclined to spontaneously join and speak in a space than perhaps they are to call in and wait on hold to be picked. So that's one of the other advantages as well. But we will continue to take calls. We will continue to do spaces both and highly recommend that you if you haven't already, follow at InfoWars, follow me at Real Chase Geyser, follow at Real Alex Jones, follow Owen Schroyer 76 or The War Room or Harrison Smith and just make sure that we're in your feed on these platforms and do what you can to share anything that we say that resonates with you uh, so that we can win this InfoWars. So there's a couple more things on the desk that I want to talk about. And as always, it's overwhelming to just see all of the details and intricacies of the the new world order agenda, which is so well documented every day in in the headlines. And it's funny because I was in an X space last night and we were just talking about InfoWars and Alex Jones, things like that. And it came up, you know, Alex Jones was always, is always right. Or Alex Jones was right. And, you know, a lot of people, he's an American icon. So a lot of people, sort of fall into what you fall into with any American icon. I mean, if you have a poster of Jim Morrison up in your room when you're in high school because you, you idolize him as a rock star, he's an American icon, or Elvis or Marilyn Monroe, what have you. Alex sort of fits into that category for the politically awakened crowd. But it's not any sort of you know Nostradamus-level prophecy. It's not any sort of magical or supernatural powers that have been bestowed upon him that he wields to predict what's going to happen months or years in advance with alarming accuracy and detail. It's just that he actually reads the documents. And one of the things I said in the space, which I want to share with this audience today is it's like the, it's like the Bible. Everybody's got a copy, but hardly anyone ever reads it or has read it. Because frankly, people think that the Bible's boring. And some parts of it, frankly, are boring. It's the word of God, but you know, it's a little dry to read Leviticus sometimes. And that's the way these documents are. Nobody wants to sit and watch hours of C-SPAN. Nobody wants to sit and watch these globalists give speeches at Davos. I mean, even Joe Biden has been caught on camera falling asleep at these globalist events, conferences that he's forced to go to by his handlers for no reason. And nobody wants to read through thousands upon thousands of pages of documents as they're released to try to put together what the heck is going on. But Alex Jones actually has put in the time to study these documents over the course of the last 10, 20, 30 years. First, it was in the local library and other sort of more traditional old school resources. And then, of course, on the internet, we have access to all this information. And when you actually consume this information that for some reason no one seems to take the initiative to consume, you are basically acquiring for yourself pieces to the puzzle of what is really going on. And once you get enough pieces, even if you don't have them all, 
you can begin to perceive what the puzzle is, what the image is, what the picture is. And so you can make predictions. Oh, this thing's over here, and this is this is what's in the upper left-hand corner, and this is what's in the lower right. You can begin to make predictions and point things out that nobody else has noticed because they just frankly don't have the same pieces that you got. And so when I'm looking at these headlines, these are all different pieces, and you have to interpret them correctly in order to understand, but they're all just little clues as to what this agenda for this globalism is. Here's one example. California bill could pave way for free tuition for black students, obviously a violation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. If you're giving somebody tax dollars for their education disproportionately because of their immutable characteristics, it seems to be blatantly racist. And so what we see here is the sowing of division among races. We see here the pushing of the belief that one race is owed something by another race because of the sins of that race's ancestors and not even all those ancestors. And what we have here is this white guilt among white people and this sort of bitterness for white people among any people of color in this country and is catalyzed by policies like this. But the politicians do it even though it's unhealthy for the nation because politically it's very conducive to their success because they're able to spin it like they are righting a wrong or establishing justice or fixing an injustice. And so they repeatedly sell out the country. They divide us against each other and they use that to fuel their political power perpetually. And it doesn't just stop there because they don't have to spend any of their own money on these initiatives. That's going to be state money. And when they spend their state money on initiatives like this, Many of these politicians, whether it's the governor, whether it's the state legislatures, whether it's members of our federal Congress, are invested in the contractors and businesses and companies and entities that provide the services or products that are paid for in, the, in these services. So, for example, and this is, just, this is just a hypothetical example, but in the event that California decides to pay for every textbook for any person of color, and we know that the textbooks are printed and sold by private companies, some of them publicly traded perhaps, then our politicians can simply invest in those companies, either privately or on the public market. They can pass the law to ensure that those companies make an increased amount of money because of this policy. These textbooks are going to be purchased. They can even encourage these companies to raise the prices of their products so that the margins are even better. And that is the laundering of tax dollars into political pockets through corruption. And what you realize is the more a government spends, the more its politicians get kickback. So there's no incentive among our political class to actually stop or slow or stall or reverse the spending because that's going to have a negative impact on their bottom line through all of the money laundering and sort of insider trading that they're doing, both the right and the left. This is not a one-sided issue. This is a uniparty issue. And then when you realize that that is what's happening, it begins to make sense why the United States is constantly spending billions and billions and billions of dollars overseas instead of domestically, where, of course, they could be audited domestically. It would be more obvious what they were doing domestically. There's more resources for investigations domestically. They spend it overseas, and the foreign countries love it because we're giving them all this money, but 
we're giving them this money to spend on products and services that our companies, American companies, provide. Those companies, of course, being companies that our politicians are invested in. So, yeah, we're loaning $95 billion to Ukraine. And what are they going to spend it on? Well, they're going to spend it on weapons and training and ammunition and supplies provided by U.S. companies in large and other European companies in large that the European politicians are invested in, that our politicians are invested in. And that is how our politicians get kicked back by selling out the American people. And they somehow justified it in their mind by, you know, claiming to themselves that it's some sort of moral war between some obviously good and pure and some obviously evil and corrupt entity when both of them are frankly corrupt. And so every politician in the world now, because of the way that this money laundering scheme works, has an incentive to come together and work together to exacerbate this problem, the spending, the selling out of their various constituents. And that is how globalism manifest more on the other side folks stick with us one of the most frustrating things about being awake to the globalist agenda is seeing the general public still asleep by and large not aware of the magnitude of the incredible danger they're under but also the ongoing attacks and the magnitude of the death caused by the lethal injections masquerading as vaccines it is so frustrating to see people going about their daily lives oblivious and you realize ignorance is not bliss it equals death but people are starting to really understand how serious things are and that's that's a hard thing to do because to wake up to a dystopic reality and realize that we're in the middle of a giant biological weapons war against humanity and that there's mass sterilization that's already taken place and they're cutting off all the major energy sources is really hard to deal with, but it's the reality. Facing it is our only chance to turn this around because stuff's about to get really, really nasty. Infowars.com.